Good morning, church. Now, I want you to look around because these are the folk that really love Jesus. I see these other quasi-Jesus-loving so-called Christians that would let a little precipitation keep them away from the worship of their God. Here you are. Now, I don't know what you believe about the rapture. I don't even know that this is good theology, but look around because y'all making the first cut. <laughs> All right, turn over to the book of Luke. Turn to our obligatory Christmas chapter, Luke, the first chapter. Now, looking back over almost three decades of ministry, or, or actually speaking, it's interesting to look back at a passage that you have spoke on so many times. And you're just kind of out there, is there any more juice that I can squeeze out of this orange? You know, the amazing thing about God's Word, it's called a living word for a reason, is that it continues to show us something over and over and over again. Those of you who remember what a paper Bible was, some of you that used to have markers and you would kind of mark a passage of Scripture that in that particular moment, it meant something to you. It spoke to you. It was that, that rhema word jumping off the page and you Something about it in that particular moment in your life said something specific. And yet you look back upon it 5, 10, 15 years later and you're seeing another aspect of what? What that scripture is saying today. Who God is to you now. Because God is ever shifting in his revelation to us as well. So we look at Luke the first chapter. You know this passage. You know this story. This young virgin has an angelic visitation. And the angel shows up, fear not, fear not. See, most of the time when an angel showed up, it was the last thing you were going to hear. Because most of the time when an angel showed up, you had messed up and he was coming to exact God's judgment upon you. So the first thing that had to happen was this angel had to assure Mary, you're not going to die is that you have found favor with God, and that's why I'm here. And then it begins to explain what's going to happen, is that she's been chosen, favor is upon her, she's been chosen to do something amazing, to bring forth God's purpose through the Son of Jesus Christ on the planet. And in verse 34, she asked the question that any of us would ask after such an encounter, how will this be. Now, this is contrasted with Zechariah's experience with this same angel. Zechariah, if you remember, he asked the question, how can it really happen? His was one more of faith than physiology. But Mary's asking, well, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, she understood how this worked. Her mama had had the talk with her. She'd seen the film in health class. I mean, she she understood, you know, all the mechanics of how babies were made and where babies came from. She was engaged, betrothed to this really cool guy, Joe. She loved Joe. Joe loved her. I mean, they had done it right. Now, understand in this particular time and culture and custom, 
that engagement was a much headier, much, uh, much heavier, commitment-laden. Trying to find my word here. Um, commitment that engagement is today. I mean, engagement is today. Oh, baby, I love you. Where's my ring? I mean, it's pretty much, that's it. I mean, you put a ring on it, I'm engaged, all right? And then you go out and you start spending a whole lot of daddy's money and start lining up caterers and photographers and all of this. I was reading yesterday about this young man that broke off his engagement. I don't know if anybody else saw this or not. And a judge ruled that this fool was going to have to ante up $50,000, $50,000 to reimburse the, uh, the parents of this woman having broken off the engagement. So men, <laughs> be very, very careful before you go there. And so here is Mary betrothed to Joseph. Now understand that infidelity, she had not, if, if there had been any sense of impurity, Joseph could have said, we're done. That would have been, that would have been it right there. I mean, under, under the law, he could have put her away. So there were a lot of ramifications that had to have been going through this young woman's mind when she asked this question. How is this going to happen since I'm a virgin? And then God answers her through the angel. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. He answers her question, how will this be? It's a legitimate question. But she was looking for a relational, physiological answer. In other words, it was a natural question, and she was looking for a what? Some natural answers. Do we not do the same thing with God all the time? is that we will ask, God will say a thing to us, and then what we want God to do is break out all of the specifics, all the mechanics, get out a calendar, show us when, and kind of lay it out for us, one through seven, if you would, please. Thank you, sir. I mean, we want all of it. And yet, even if God were to tell you, many times we wouldn't understand. Why? Because God is spirit. See, God is speaking in another language that you and I speak. We want God, we, we see God in this kind of anthropomorphic form who's going to come down, sit down, chat, you know, and we're going to talk about current events together. We're going to use all our lingo, all of our slang that we've learned, but the reality is if we're going to relate to a sovereign, supernatural, spiritual God, we're going to have to learn a spiritual language to understand what he is saying. You see, God is speaking all the time. Job 33, God does speak now one way, now another, though man may not, what, perceive it. Our Spanish congregation, many of them are meeting with us in this service today. And some, some of them are having this translated. They have headphones on, and there's a translator back in another room. He's taking my words. He's translating it into a language that can be understood. But likewise, for you and I, we need to learn another language. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, verse 12 says this. We've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Now, the spirit, cap small s, meaning the human spirit, but the spirit, capital S, who is from God, 
that we may understand what God has freely given us. Do you realize God himself has to interpret his gift? Have you ever received something from someone and you open the package and it's like, well, this is really great. What is it? What does it do? That's like, sort of like when I gave my 70-some-odd-year-old mother an iPod. Excuse me, an iPad. All right? Ooh, is this a cutting board? <laughs> yes, it's a backlit, glow-in-the-dark cutting board. Enjoy, Mom. But no, I mean, here's the gift. I mean, this comes in the obligatory white box with the apple on it, you know, so you, I mean, most of us, you know, our, our heartbeats increase when we see a white box with an apple on it. But mom didn't realize that. She thought maybe it was a fruit gift, you know, or you know, six Bartlett pears or something. I don't know. So she opens it up, and I have to explain to her what this gift is. She has no idea. And so I have to begin to break the language down. Okay, mom, this, this uses different apps. What's an app? And you realize she has no idea what iOS or app or, you know, home button. She, you have to explain everything. Well, God has to do the same thing for you and I. Because what God has given us is so much more valuable than something that comes in a white box with fruit on it. It's so much more valuable that God himself has to teach us the language so that we can even understand what he's given us. This is what we speak, verse, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 2. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Once again, we want a natural response from a supernatural God. And many times, God is not going to give us all of the answers that we're looking for. You come home with the holy box from Krispy Kreme. And just so you'll know, Krispy Kreme as a company is on the rebound, all right? So I keep up with this. This is important. And we know that each one of these golden orbs has 300 calories, okay? They're not just donuts. They're golden orbs. And you bring these home to your child. Are you with me? And the child immediately wants to dive in the box and eat, them, eat their way out. And you realize that what's going to happen. And so they ask, can I have a donut? No. Now the very next question out of that child's mouth is what? Why? Or why not? And so you can begin to try to explain things like blood chemistry and blood sugar and... You know, you eat these donuts and you're going to be like a hummingbird on crack. You know, in about 15 minutes, you're going to be bouncing off the walls here. You know, we've got breakable things in the house. And after 30 minutes after that, you're going to crash and burn. I'm going to give you to your daddy to take care of at that point. Because children don't understand things like blood chemistry and diabetes and all of this kind of thing. All they know is that I want what? The donut. And you're trying to give me some big adult answer. And so you're trying to break it down and make them understand why not. All they know about you is that what? you the Antichrist. (laughs) 
And yet many times God will answer us and God is speaking and it's just like, I don't know what you're saying. Because you're not telling me what I want to hear. Years ago, and if this upsets your theology, then I kind of apologize. But years ago, I had this experience. And God, I've told this story. I was at a conference and trying to find something wrong with the speakers and what was going on with that thing. And God said, watch this. And next thing I know, he slams me up against the wall across about six seats and just, uh, just face plants me right there in the conference. And I'm like, what is this? And I remember having a conversation with God. Uh, can I get up? Nope. Listen, I drove all the way down here to Virginia Beach for the. I don't care. I'm getting up now. No, you're not. And I remember spending two and a half hours on that floor under the power of God. I couldn't move. And having a dialogue with God the whole time. God, really, let me up. What are you doing? You wouldn't understand. What do you mean I wouldn't understand? This is me. He said, you still wouldn't understand. And 15 years later, I still don't know what that was all about. It said God was doing something in me at a level, if he tried to explain it, I wouldn't have gotten it. How many of you can look back on your life and see something that God did five or ten years ago, and it's just like you had no idea where God was going with that thing, and you look back now and it's just like, dang. You know, God, that was pretty smart. Smart God. Yeah. Because we would never have seen all the intricate moves that God was getting ready to do to maneuver us through a thing. All we knew is that we were like that child. I want it now. What are you doing? God saying, just be still. Be still. See, Isaiah 55, 8. We quote this like we know it, but we just don't like it. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways, and the heaven, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What's God saying? You ain't going to get it, son. And you see, Mary was trying to drive down into the mechanics of the house, looking for a natural response, and she didn't get it. But God answered her. And what did he say? He said, first of all, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, it's very important that we identify who the real star of the story is. It's not Mary. Now, if you're a recovering Catholic here, I'm not trying to upset you or anything like that. Mary, fine young woman, favor of God. God chose her. Cool. But this story is not so much about Mary as it was about God. The Holy Spirit saying there's something of divine agency happening here that's not human in origin because there's no way that a holy perfect God the son of God could not come forth from the seed of man sin nature the Adamic nature the only way that this God man could come forth was through incorruptible seed of the Holy Spirit it had to be divine conception it was the only other way it could happen and there was no sin there was no question in her what was on the inside? Who was on the inside? But there was also another question that she never had to ask is who's the daddy? You know, you and I carry around a lot of pregnancies sometimes. And we don't know who the daddy is. And we get out there and we carry these things around and, you know, we say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
God's a daddy. God said, I ain't no daddy. I wasn't anywhere close to that event. And it, you know, it's just like we need, we need to get on Mari and have a paternity test or something because, because we're, we're just, and, 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 and we wonder many times when we, when we have these stillbirths and we, we give birth to these things and they're, quite frankly, they're retarded. And we wonder, oh God, you're just not, why did this happen to me? Oh God, God said, I wasn't in it from the beginning. So right here, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And let me also say this. Whatever God conceives, God will safely deliver. That is a promise. Whatever God conceives, God will deliver. Isaiah 66, verse 9. Do I bring to the moment of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord. Do I close up the womb when I bring to the delivery, says your God. Hallelujah. Let me just tell you, you get pregnant with the purposes of God, they will be safely delivered in your life. That is the promise. And some of you who've had perhaps a pattern of miscarriage, let me suggest to you that maybe it wasn't divine paternity of that thing that you were carrying. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Something is going to descend upon you. Something beyond yourself. Jesus told those disciples, they came back and said, man, we... We got it going on here. We're casting out demons and folks are are getting healed and we're preaching the kingdom. Jesus says, there's more. Wait for the gift my father has promised because there's another baptism coming your way. Jesus in that water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Mary, rightly positioned. To receive something of the overpowering, overshadowing of God. Guess what? They were in the right place. Many times, our lives, we're running around and saying, Wee, God, come catch me. Here I am. Bless me, bless me, bless me. But you got to catch me first. Let me give you a little secret about God. He'll chase you one time. When you're dead in sin and you don't know any difference and you're running in the wrong direction, God in his grace, he will run you down and sit on your head (laughs) through circumstances until you cry God, not uncle, but you cry God. Amen. But then the the rules of the game change and God says, now (laughs) you spend the rest of your life chasing me. You follow me. Jesus did not get up every morning. Yo, John, Matthew, where are you idiots? Hey, come on, let's go. Need to head on down to Jerusalem. Where are those boys? Get him up. Throw some water on him. That isn't what Jesus did. You follow me. And see, that's, but it's a matter of being positioned well. So that we're not hoping that you know, when, when that come upon, we're not over here when the come upon is right here. Hmm, you ain't got it yet. And it goes on and says, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I love this. This power of the Most High. The equation of power in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit with the Most High, with God. It's a neat Trinitarian passage here. 
But it's the idea that God's got something that's beyond us. It's bigger than us. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And this is where I'm trying to get to. The world's longest introduction for the world's shortest sermon. Overshadow. You know, we hear that word and immediately something in us reacts negatively. Does it not? Overshadow. That's that's not a good thing. First of all, shadows. We don't really like the concept of. But the idea of being overshadowed, we think about that in terms of sibling rivalry. That you're in the wrong birth order. You didn't get to fill out the application and they stuck you in the middle. Some older brother, some older sister, some teammate that always got picked or always played and you rode the bench. Somebody else in that workplace that seems to always being promoted because they're promoting themselves seemingly and you're being overshadowed. It's a word that we don't like the context or the connotation of whatsoever. It seems very negative. Comes from a Greek word that I won't embarrass me or you by trying to pronounce. That we see some pictures of what this overshadowing really looks like. Exodus 40, for instance. When the presence of the God, presence of God came into that tabernacle. Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Look at this. Moses could not enter. Now, Moses. This is the same Moses, intimate with God, mouth to mouth, breath to breath, as a man speaks with his friend. And yet in this moment, he can't go in. Even Moses could not enter because the cloud had settled and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The priest could not fulfill their priestly duties. You know, I I appreciate the emphasis that we have as believers to go. I love that. It's right. Go and make disciples. Matthew 28. Great commission. Multiply, subdue the earth, rule over it. Genesis 1.28. From the very beginning, the dominion mandate. Yes, God has something for you and I to do. But there is a moment in the overshadowing, overreaching presence of God where you can't do anything. You can't worship. You can't talk. You can't sacrifice. There's nothing you can do except maybe hope to live through the encounter. And I got to tell you that many times in in our current ecclesiastical expression of worship, I'm afraid we get so casual many times in the way that we try to encounter a holy, awesome, perfect God that even Moses understood there was nothing he could do. And we're hopping around and dancing and talking and acting the fool. I tell you, I I appreciate the grace and mercy of God that he just doesn't just strike some of us dead. If we really believe that, ooh, God's in that place, well, then act like it. Hmm. Sorry, that's another sermon. But the idea of overshadowing God's presence descending. Psalm 91, 4. He will cover you with his feathers. Here's this picture of overshadowing again. And under his wings you will find refuge. And his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. This is the same word and the same word picture that's used in all three gospel accounts of the Mount of Transfiguration. 
where Jesus takes three of his closest disciples up on this mountain and he's changed, he's transfigured. They see an aspect of his glory and his holiness they've never seen before. The same picture. And whether it was his baptism where heaven declared, this is my son. The Mount of Transfiguration which declared, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Luke 1.35, we see the first instance of this. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And what does it say? It says that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Part of the whole principle and the whole pattern of overshadowing is that you would know that you know that you know who Jesus is. Who is this Jesus? That word means to tower above, cast a shadow over, appear more prominent or important. And we don't like this, oh, don't like being overshadowed much. Pastor Brett spoke last week on John the Baptist. Needing to decrease so that Christ could increase. And John, John's a man. He was a rock star. On the cover of Ministries Today and Charisma. And every other day he's on TBN and CNN and Fox are in on it. And everybody's following him around. I mean, he is the rock star of the ecclesiastical world. Jesus shows up and John says... I'm done. Just backs right up. And he wasn't in there vying with Jesus. Uh, yo, think maybe we could do this like the dynamic duo here? Or he wasn't vying for a cabinet position or ambassadorship. All he, did, all he did was just back all the way up. And he backed all the way up to prison. Talk about losing position. Overshadowed. John understood something. Significant. And you see, it's that word significant that messes us up. Let me tell you what I think one of man's greatest insecurities is, is being insignificant. We're so afraid of being insignificant that we will actually substitute prominence for significance. We will try for our 15 minutes of fame. They tweet it, Facebook it, Pinterest it, Instagram it, whatever we can do that we can somehow get our kitty video to get 2 million hits on YouTube. So that we can somehow, because of the need for significance that is hardwired in every individual, we will substitute something called prominence for significance. Even if it's as pathetic as social media. And yet the paradox of this whole thing is that like John, if we will decrease, if we will allow ourselves... To be overshadowed by the Almighty. It's in that overshadowing that we will find our greatest significance. The greatest significance that he wrote our names in the Lamb's Book of Life before he separated light and darkness. That our names are written on the palm of his hands. That he has prepared a place for us. We are significant. We are called children of God. It doesn't get any more significant than that. You don't need two million Facebook followers to be significant. You don't need a reality television show to be significant. You can be practically invisible and overshadowed in the presence of God and find your greatest place. Your greatest placement and your greatest significance. 
And it's in that same place that we will find our greatest protection. We wonder many times why we feel so exposed and so unsafe. Because we've stepped out of that overshadowing. Psalm 91.1, you quote this, you know it well. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the what? The shadow of the Almighty. We love that passage. But the shadow of the Almighty. What does that mean? It means we get repositioned. And then finally, it's in this overshadowing that we find the mystery of divine conception. Not the mechanics of it, but the mystery of it. The Holy One to be born. And once again, is there something holy trying to come forth from your life? And much of whether or not it's holy or profane has to do with who the daddy is. Is it our plan, our way, our good idea, our good intentions? Or is it truly something that's come from the heart of the Father to you? But for that to happen, like John, we have to decrease. Like Mary, we have to say, not my will, but thy will, what? Be it unto me according to thy word. And that means that if in that overshadowing somehow I seemingly get diminished, paradoxically it's in that place that I find my greatest significance. Amen? And we may not, and again, we may not get all of our questions answered. I don't know about you, but the, oh, the older I get, the less smart I get. Because one, there's just too much to know. I barely know even how to use the, the apps on my thing that came in the white box with the apple. I mean, I, even how to go find the information. I mean, I, I, and I realized the longer that I walk with God and I walk on this earth, it's just like, I don't know much. I really don't. But somewhere we have to get to the place of, you know what, that doesn't matter. Because what's more important is not what I know, but the fact that I am known. And it's in that place of being overshadowed that Jesus reveals who he is to me in a way that I would never know anywhere else. Pray with me.